All right, fellas, welcome to the Average Baseball Players Podcast. I am thrilled to be talking to you. Finally, we are in the podcast game just when you thought there weren't enough podcasts. Here's another one for you, fellas. Um, so what I had in mind for this podcast, for the beginning at least, were to talk about early 1900s baseball players. As you know, and everybody else knows, I am a huge fan of their stories. If you look at their Sabre profiles, their stories are basically a combination of, I'd say, the Oregon Trail and This Week in Baseball, two of my f- absolute favorite things. So getting to talk about these legends on a forum with you guys and uh, special guests along the way, I'm just absolutely thrilled. And today I'm joined by a special guest, one of my good pals, Jeffrey, and he's a perfect guest for this because he minored in dead ball era studies at the University of Iowa. Jeffrey, how are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing well, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm pretty pumped up. Yeah, I'm really glad you're here. I see you're rocking the Average Baseball Player sweatshirt available on AverageBaseballPlayers.com. How's it, how's it fitting you so far? It looks good. It feels good. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, a com- it's a comfy, uh, comfy hoodie. And I think that all baseball fans uh, who, who follow Average Baseball Players ought to, ought to go and get themselves one. Yeah, I mean, it's guaranteed to... Gets you, get you some extra looks when you're walking down the street. Absolutely hasn't worked for me yet, but I could tell it's going to work for you. Oh, this is this is going to be a conversation starter. I'm going to wear it all weekend. Give it a give it a go. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it. So, fellas, to get your own, go on averagebaseballplayers.com. Go to the store. Use promo code fellas for ten percent off. Jeff, I see you're also wearing a Mets uh, Mets hat. I know you're a big fan of the Mets. I like yeah yeah yeah. Get to you know through my through my ball cap on for this conversation uh haven't been wearing hats a whole lot recently grew up wearing hats but um working from home i'm really not outside a whole lot so i uh dusted off my old trusty mets hat and uh earlier today when i when i grabbed this guy to wear it um i was just thinking about the game that i had gotten it at so uh, i got this hat back in 2009 so you know 12 years ago mm-hmm. It was my first time at City Field. My dad and I are huge Mets fans. And at that point, I had been to Shea Stadium twice. Uh, but this was my first visit to City Field. So it was a memorable one. So I picked up this hat. It's my all-time favorite hat. And I remember that Oliver Perez was the starting pitcher for the Mets. And he was uh, he wasn't awesome. And my dad and I were... <laughs> on the car he's he's, per, he's perfect for us though for him. yeah he is he is and that and that that's why the, it makes the story so you know setting us up so perfectly here so my dad and i on the way down were saying hey let's get four innings out of oliver tonight <laughs> and then that'll four. that'll be a huge success <laughs> so we're driving down 95 talking about that so anyway i uh the mets were playing the diamondbacks and for some reason i i thought it was ian kennedy who was the opposing pitcher. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I wasn't sure. So I, I hopped on a baseball reference uh, to, to find that particular game. And it was it was John Garland. John Garland. Oh, okay. John Garland. Solid so, guy in his prime. Short prime, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I, I have the game up here. Um, I think it was during his prime. He actually pitched a good game. I'm looking at the box score right now. Garland went six innings. He struck out seven, walked two, uh, gave up six hits, two earned runs. I mean, that's a that's a quality start. Absolutely. Um, and then all so here's where it gets good though. 
Oliver Perez, five innings, seven strikeouts, six walks, one earned run. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of, that's, you know, it's par for the course. It's going to be a wild ride with Oliver, but ultimately he may just, he's just going to get the job done. He's going to surprise a lot of people. And that's a good transition into who we're talking about today, because when Oliver first came up, a lot of people called him the left-handed Rip Collins, which is who we're, that's who we're yeah. talking about today. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what he was billed at. You know, the fan expectations were high for Oliver, as they were for Rip. So mm-hmm. Rip, birth name, Harry Warren Collins from Weatherford, Texas. Jeff, do you, you've done a little, uh, little uh, research. Well, everyone knows about Rip Collins, right? You knew about him before. Oh yeah, I've been a, I've been a Rip fan for for a while. Um, yeah. He's actually my uncle's all time favorite player. Yeah. Um, my uncle's a huge card collector from pre World War One. Uh-huh. Uh You know, all the way through, uh, you know, the seventies and eighties, and he has a whole Rip Collins collection of cards. So I've known I've known about Rip for a long time. Yeah, and didn't Rip's rookie card when your uncle sold it that paid for your University of Iowa degree or college? Yeah, education? it did. Yeah. 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 I mean, so having you on as a guest today was an absolute no. Yeah, it's so it sold for like five hundred and fifty bucks, and that paid for all four years of college at Iowa. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's it, inflation has been crazy in the last it's few years. State school, man. Yeah, go Hawkeyes. <laughs> uh, so a little bit more about uh, Rip Collins. If you pull up the Saber article written by Bill Nolan, Nowlin, not sure how to pronounce it, but either way, I'm a huge fan of his because. His profile is a roller coaster. Rip's profile being is yeah. a roller coaster to say the least. Yes. So let's start from the beginning. He was a Texas boy. Yep. Was born in Weatherford, Texas. Moved to Austin at a young age. Don't know where his parents went. Um, he just he grew up with his aunt Florence mm-hmm. and um, grew up in Austin, Texas. But stud athlete, you know, just jack of all trades master of all of them growing up yeah took, took those talents to texas a&m and jeff do you know how many uh sports he put at texas a&m yeah i was reading through earlier he played like 18 sports in college <laughs> yeah the answer is too many you can't count how many uh uniform aggie uniforms this guy was repping. he played on well he first originally went there to be a veterinarian but once you saw how athletic this guy was you knew he wasn't going to be safe doing that he was definitely. No, he, he went to he went to class for a week and said, "I don't have time to go to class and play eighteen varsity sports." Yeah, exactly. Um, so you so just throw throw becoming a vet out the window for for good old Rip. <laughs> good, and it, it happened early because while he did make his uh, his living uh, as a baseball player, he was actually known more in those days as a football player. So he got that that dreams of being a veterinarian right out of the way when he stepped on the the uh the field for the Aggie football team as a punter and his that's big time college football too it it absolutely is it it's Johnny Manziel wouldn't there would be no Johnny Manziel legend of him if it weren't for Rip Collins and Rip Collins he became the legend that he was as a punter Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna read off a few of these facts and you're gonna think these are uh tall tales but anything that I read online I absolutely believe so Here's a little uh, here's a little rundown. He was absolutely exceptional in a 1915 game against uh, against Haskell Indian Nation University, the Fighting Indians. He reportedly punted a ball 92 yards. Yeah, 
And that's, you know, that's, that, that's okay for him. The wind was kind of, you know, coming towards him when he did that. If he had it on his back, he'd really show off uh, what he could do, which is exactly what he did against Ole Miss. So back then the goalposts were on the goal lines and not behind the end zones like you see today. So a hundred yards from each uh, uh, goalpost to goalpost. In that game against Ole Miss, he had a punt against or behind his own goalpost, ended up hitting the goalposts on the other side of the field. Yeah, he was like a modern day or not a modern day, an old time OG Uncle Rico, but a punter. <laughs> it, Uncle Rico, I was thinking, is he related to the Colquitt family? You know, Britain Colquitt. Forget the other name. I'm sorry if they're listening uh, right now. Another uh, Brit, uh, Britain Colquitt. And, uh, it was another B name. Uh, yeah. and, we're we're going to call him uh, Bert. 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 So, yeah. yeah. So, what's not baseball related, but what's really cool about that is Hunter in 1915, that was the most important position on the football field. It was a very yeah. defensive game Absolutely. back then. So, you know, he literally was the star. Of, yeah. of that Aggie squad. Yeah, there, and th- there was even games where he – there was one game, I believe, he punted 23 times. They ended up winning 13 to nothing. And the lone nothing. Yeah. yeah, the lone touchdown that game was scored by Rip. Forced fumble, right? Forced Off fumble. The, he forced yeah. it on his own punt. Right. Guy, the, I think the person fielding the punt just saw Rip was coming, heard his thunderous footsteps, and just said, you know what, I'm just not going to deal with this, Rip. You've got this one. And then he punched it, <laughs> which, I mean, that's just a good business decision. And, and Rip, too, he's like, uh, he's not your prototypical football guy. He's, uh, where, where are we here? Yeah, five, ten and a five, half. five, ten and a half. That, that's how tall I am. I'm the most average size guy there is. And he weighed, <laughs> one, he weighed a buck 85 soaking wet. Buck 85, um, golden leg. Yeah. But laying the wood on people and punching <laughs> the ball in the end zone. This guy... Yeah. If you look at him, you know Belichick, if he was around those days, would have scouted him in a heartbeat. Yep. Even though I don't think he was a lefty punter, but uh, he would have been on his radar from day one. So he only played for the Aggies for two years because then after yeah. those two years, he enlisted into the Army and he served as a captain in the infantry until 1918. He was, um, he was still stationed in the United States. He never went overseas. And while he was here in the military during that time, he married a woman named Letty Parmel in 1917, uh, September of 1917. And we'll get a little more, we'll get a little more into Letty. Steady Letty. What's that? Steady Letty. Steady Letty. That is a great nickname for her. And you fellows will find out why. So he serves in the military. Um, and he was also kind of playing baseball at the time because he still was in the United States. But he never ended up playing pro ball until 1919 because um, he was still busy because he was just so busy. He had the talent to go pro in any single sport. And uh, he decided, you know, I'm just going to just hurl the rock a little bit once he gets off it. But um, when he was finally discharged, he has a great quote here. He said, all I had was a hat and a wife, so I had to get to work. That is the kind of guy I want on my team. I, I can't I don't want to speak for you, Jeff, but I assume you're the you feel the same way. Yeah, blue collar guy, you know, down to the bones that he, you know, he's the kind of guy that's like taking care of his yard every day and, yeah, you know, what like polishing everything he owns and just like, you know, taking a step back and, and appreciating every, every dime he's earned. 
Yeah, and like oh, absolutely, it, yeah, blue blue chipper. Yeah, like if it snows outside, he's shoveling your driveway yeah. for yeah, you because he, he knows you got like, a bad he back. He wakes up at like four ten in the morning. Yeah, that's like his work. Yeah. He's never, he's probably never lifted in his life, or he never did. He just would just do yard work and just manual labor, and that's how he became the athlete that he was. Also, also check this out. Talk about talk about leadership on a team. So you you had mentioned he served right before yes. he started playing minor league ball or you know professional baseball at whatever level. Um, he served he served for the military. You know he, he grew up in Texas. He served in the military on the border of Texas and Mexico. Oh yeah. Um, and there's a quote in here uh, when he was corporal. Um, it's it's said that he was nicked by bullets four <laughs> times during his his service on the border. Nick. That so I bet his definition of Nick is just getting shot right in the middle of his leg, but he's you know he's ripped, you know, like yeah. he, he just doesn't even feel it. He's like, you know, when's when's my next start? All right, coach, do you need me to pin them inside the five? I'm still ready to play. He's an absolute monster, just built very differently. Dude, why were you discharged, man? I was nicked by a bullet four times. Meanwhile, <laughs> he's got like, you know, he's missing a finger, got a got a hole in his leg. And then he's still going to go out on the mound. Coach. Yeah, the, the guy was just unbelievable and an absolute no-brainer for uh, being the first guy that we talk about in this podcast. Um, so I mentioned he's first got, he first played pro ball in 1919 with the Dallas Steers or Dallas Marines. There's little – I'm seeing different things online. But he absolutely shoved for them. He was 11 and 12, but, you know, as you know, wins and loss record isn't a good indicator of performance. He had a 2.34 ERA. Um and because of that, the New York Yankees, they, he caught, caught their eye. Um, Scout yeah. Bob Connery saw that 2.34 ERA and said, hey, we got to have this guy in New York. This guy is, you know, he's a comes from humble beginnings, small, like he's a Texas boy. Let's get him to the big city. So they bring him to the, to the Yankees in 1920. Um, and I think it's safe to, uh, safe to say that got off to a little bit of a rough start. Um, you mentioned the four the four bullet uh, incidents that he had. <laughs> he uh, before he joined the Yankees, he had uh, hurt his thumb working with a cement mixer. And if that isn't yeah. the most Rip Collins early nineteen yeah. hundreds baseball injury, I I don't know what to tell you. What's up with early early twentieth century baseball players like having two other like hustles aside from playing baseball they, they just didn't earn enough money back then yeah you know, it, it wasn't the same as today but he, like, this dude's mixing cement it's not like he's doing that for fun and he yeah. just got back from serving you know in some capacity with the military and yeah. he was just signed to a, a contract with the yankees it's like put, put one down rip yeah like he had absolutely no time off to himself imagine oliver perez just having like a snow removal company in the offseason <laughs> You just, you couldn't imagine that <laughs> happening in today's yeah, uh, day. Yeah, no, just, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So, yeah, he, uh, so 1920, let me pull up his stats here. He had a, it's kind of a rough start with the injury, but, you know, he fe- eventually uh, settled down. Um, yeah, he, the, the year he, he got hurt with the cement incident, um, that, that'll be a whole other podcast. We'll, we'll cover that in another episode. Oh, oh yeah. Um, but, uh yeah, he threw nine. He threw nine in the third innings, right? So like, so his season was cut short. No, so that no, he um, that was by the end of by the beginning of June. He had to sit out a little bit, um, but got oh, you're right, you're only right. threw nine, and then eventually in 1920 he ended up 14 and eight, 3.22, 2, 
but like you said, like he had the first nine innings of his career, his big league career, where it was pretty yeah. rough. It didn't look All like right. so. So his first year up in the bigs, though, 14 and 8, 322 ERA. Uh, the Yankees finished third place in, you know, whatever division. So he he's playing for a competitive team yeah. uh, and was probably one of the top pitchers on, on the squad is his rookie season. Yeah. So, so we're, we're taught this kid was a promising, you know, prospect. Yeah, he, he, he was a, and you got to remember it. Like everyone thinks early Yankees, like this time of the Yankees, they're winning world series all the time. That, that wasn't the case. No, not this year. That, that culture didn't change until Rip joined the team. And I mean, I don't want yeah, to. I was, I was taking a look at these Yankee rosters. They, they didn't win the World Series either of the two years that, that Rip was, you know, playing for them. Yeah. Um, I believe they won the pennant and played in the World the, Series. The, the following year, 1921. He, 21, um, right. So, so yeah. the, most, the most famous name, uh, you know, on that roster is Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. Babe Ruth was you know, was a teammate of, of Rip. Not an average baseball player. Which is pretty, pretty legendary. Yeah. It's, yeah, and uh, that year, it, it was kind of a rough year for him. He went 11-5, and five, but he had a 5.44 ERA. He did uh, appear in the World Series in Game 3. And back then, it was a best-of-nine series, but yeah. it was Game 3. And we, we won't talk about his stat line, you know. It just, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. But um, there, there was a reason why his 1921 uh, season didn't go as planned it was because he had contracted malaria at the beginning of the season and a lot of people thought oh he was late to report because of his uh reported drinking problems no the guy had malaria and he was still going out there pitching for the pinstripes a lot, not a lot of guys would be able to do i know 5.44 era isn't much to uh brag about but the guy still went out there he battled so as i had mentioned he there were rumors of him, you know, partying a little too much, drinking a little too much. And uh, those were absolutely true. There's a reason why he's called Rip Collins. It was uh, because that the name Rip is actually derived from when he was, uh, this is a quote from him. When I was six years old, I could drain off a goblet of beer and smack my lips. Corn whiskey later took the place of beer. So he says later took the place. That could be age nine. Who knows? <laughs> but the drinking led to his nickname quote i don't feel i don't particularly feel proud of the nickname rip there was a brand of whiskey fairly popular in my neck of the woods before prohibition called ripa whiskey well i could handle it pretty well so you could draw your own conclusions so that is how this guy with the first name what is it harry warren collins his his full name that's how he became known as rip and Another fun thing that I noticed, actually, this absolutely isn't fun. His career in the pros went from 1919 to 1933. Prohibition was 1920 to 1933 in the United States. So it, is it a coincidence or did Rip Collins, was he the main reason for Prohibition? Uh, no, he wasn't the reason for Prohibition, but he is the the poster child for how people got through prohibition that's a great point <laughs> an absolutely great point and so he also had another Look, dude quote. you can't work three jobs and be an alcoholic you got to be a functioning alcoholic and, 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 and rip was he was definitely letting it rip absolutely but you know back then times were different i feel like he was not the only one and definitely not the only one on his team doing it he was teammates with babe ruth who was 
I think it's fair yeah. to say a function. I mean, in the 1920s, like you just woke up and started drinking, like what added goblets, I guess. That's yeah, what they, thought it, they thought it was healthy. Yeah, they thought it was healthy back then. <laughs> Could drain off a goblet of beer. Got. I'm referring Six. to beer as goblets Six. from now on only. That's it. But to go back about his time in New York, this is another yeah. great, great quote that he had. I hit all the high places in New York. The lights weren't quite bright enough for me, so I made them lighter. Many a morning, I rolled home about 5 a.m. I didn't realize it at the time, but Miller Huggins, his manager at the time, gave me more consideration than I deserved. So he's a man of accountability. And he was also talking about New York as if it was a small town, saying the lights weren't bright enough. I went back to the 1920 census. And in 1920, New York was by far the most populous, uh, the highest population for any U.S. city yeah. at that time. Yeah. Yeah, it was more than double of the numbers. Popping in the in the the roaring twenties, but it, it wasn't popping the roaring twenties because it was roaring in New York. River River was roaring, <laughs> but he, you know, to his knowledge, it wasn't it wasn't popping enough for him. You know, he needed something yeah. else, I guess. Yeah. So, from there, he was traded to the Red Sox in 1922. Yeah. But he's a guy that could own up to his mistakes. He said, don't blame Huggins. There's no one to blame but old Rip Collins. He, stopped, he talks about himself in the third person. Yeah. He must stay in condition to pitch winning ball in the major leagues, and Rip Collins failed to do that. Huggins gave me every chance, and I was too young and thoughtless to take advantage of my opportunities. I wish I had that season of 1920 to live over. So not only was he boozing his face off, he was talking in the third person, which I absolutely love. He's like the booby miles of his era. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> so he he had this one year in boston and he kind of got back on track right like 3.76 yeah. era yeah i mean he, he he's such an anomaly so you know looking at his his career here um you know he wins 25 games with the yankees mm -hmm. uh he has a winning percentage that's like you know right around 65 um so he's winning ball games on, on competitive teams he's he's you know throwing throwing well yeah but my favorite he uh he walks a lot of guys so both, oh, yes. both, of, both of those seasons he actually walked more guys than he struck out and then his rookie year the year he went 14 and 8 he led the league and hit batsmen with 14 yeah um so it's like he's winning i mean the yankees must have been putting up a lot of runs yeah um, but yeah so he goes to boston uh I feel like that's such a classic 1920s like baseball trade story. <laughs> this uh, never happens anymore. Although it happened with uh, Adam Ottavino and but, Babe Ruth and Babe Ruth, you know, yeah, who yeah. has that Johnny the, Damon, yeah, uh, at some point maybe I don't know. But yeah, anyway, he, yeah, so he wins. He he wins 14 games, which is which is really funny. Uh, his career high for wins in the season is 14, and he did that three times in his career. Mm -hmm. So his season with the Red Sox, uh, 14 wins. Uh, he had a sub four ERA. Um, he led the league in walks with 103 <laughs> and he struck out 69 guys. Nice. Uh, so I don't know how you win 14 games when, when your, your stat line looks like that. Yeah. It, it was really a bounce back year for him in 1922 uh, with the Sox. And during that time, he caught the eye of one baseball great, going by the name of Ty Cobb, the player yeah. manager of the Detroit Tigers. Right. He saw him coming back, uh, finally living up to the potential that he was built up to have, that everyone saw at Texas A&M, this athletic freak. 
and he joins the Tigers in 1923. And there it's, you know, it's just another, it's just, it's so rip, you know, so rip Collins. Yeah. Up and down, still wild, has one good year, has a bad year the next. But, you know, you just never know what you're going to get each time. It's because, is it because he's doing off the field? You know, you, you just don't know. Yeah, so <laughs> Ty Cobb brings him into, you know, Detroit. Uh, at the time, Detroit was, was I think, the second largest city in, in the United States next to New York. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that, but that was when Detroit was popping. Yeah. So, so, this, so this, you know, small town Texas guy is making his way to, uh, you know, two of the most prosperous cities in the country playing good baseball. Yeah. And Ty Cobb was fired up about him, too. Uh, you know, he really liked what he saw at the time. Um, this young kid, you know, winning a lot of ball games, walking a lot of guys. He's, get, he's getting guys on base, but he's got a heavy pitch. A lot of ground ball, double play outs. Yeah. Um, so he actually ends up staying in Detroit and, and playing, uh, mo- you know, a good chunk of his career there. Yeah. Five years. Yeah, five years, right. Yeah, and, and but, you know, it's part – it's the Rip Collins story. He's up and down. He had more injuries. He had a tumorous growth in his elbow. Yeah. Uh, they cleared it out. They, uh, but you know, he was just never really to have like able to have like a full season of where he could just be or a full run of couple of years together where he was really just the Rip Collins that could be. Um, right. And there's even a time where Ty Cobb fined him for breaking the team training rules. I couldn't find out exactly what it was, but for a guy like Ty Cobb, who has his own questionable character issues to find somebody else for theirs. Right. I think it says a lot, you know, it's, he had a troubled story, but you know, it's also kind of why, why we love him. And during that time, he was also called the unluckiest pitcher in the American league because yeah, I saw that. Yeah. His 1924 season, 3.21 ERA in that time, he started 30 games, usually that kind of ERA and with that kind of team around him, they would have, he would have collected more wins, but. Yeah. He pitched 11 complete games that season, yeah. which, which at that time was not that unusual, but that's, that's a lot of complete games. You know, he was throwing a lot of innings. He started, he got a, uh, he started 30 games that year. Yeah. So, you know, healthy again, getting back into his, his groove a little bit. But I think I found the reason why he was so shaky in Detroit and that has to do with oh, something yeah. off the field. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, it goes by uh, her name is Mrs. Wilma Place. The story of Miss Wilma Place and Rip Collins is one for the ages. So to uh, to run it down real quick, Wilma and Rip they married in Boston in 1922. Keep in mind, according to everyone else's knowledge, Rip is still married to Letty. His first right. wife, the night who we married right. in 1970. Steady Letty. Steady Letty. Yeah. So that they got married in Boston. They moved to Detroit together. And uh, Rip told her that he needed to leave the Red Sox and change his name to Charles Place because he needed an alias to protect him against a fan who was mad at him because he threw a bat at him. You know, classic. Rip, right. You know? Right. And uh, after that, Rip, uh, Charles or Rip disappeared uh, in January before the 1925 season and he left behind his kid charles jr so he named his kid charles jr which was his alias's name yeah this is how complicated and how wild of a ride this dude's career was (laughs) (laughs) 
he disappeared and it's kind of met this happened so long ago so you can laugh but he was writing wilma his second wife from time to time that he hadn't been able to hook on with another team um because she didn't follow baseball at all although back then i figured the way of finding out about games and what happened was just picking up a newspaper and that's how you found out about everything back then right so apparently she was not checking on that at all so this whole time he's playing for the tigers she's living in detroit yeah. but she has no idea that he's still there playing he, and he's married to wilma now. now married to wilma but yeah i think he's still married to letty so there's an <laughs> internal battle with rip do you like letty yeah. or do you like wilma i don't know man i think that guys that do that don't have internal battles <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I think the night they got He's married. just with Boston, Wilma. I, I think it was, there was a one night in 1922 where he got married in Boston, 1922. He was probably absolutely hammered, had no idea that he got married, woke up the next day and said, well, guess I'm going to have to change my name now. And that's just how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. I think he just had no idea. And you could get away with stuff like that back in the, you know, in the mid twenties though, you know, to to get from Boston to Detroit, you know, would take you three and a half days in a train. And, you (laughs) know, she was with him from Boston to Detroit. And then once he got there, he's like, Oh crap. I don't really like this Wilma lady. I got to, I got to kick her to the curb. I got to tell her I'm a free agent still. (laughs) So so he's got that whole ordeal going on, but his run with the Tigers ends in 1927 yeah, uh, his last year with them wasn't great. And in 1928, he signs on with uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, which were a minor league team at the time. Yeah. Has a solid season. Signs back with the MLB with the St. Louis Browns, mm-hmm. and has his final three years in the MLB. Um, kind of so-so years, you know, not not really great. The, the depression's going on, so he's taking pay cuts, and uh, it's it's just not really working out for our guy Rip. And then, uh, so his last year is in 1931, 1932, he contracted another illness, uh, similar to Malta fever, which is, I looked it up. It's basically a disease you get from having bad dairy. So it's just another long to add to his long list of weird injuries and mishaps. He's got another one. He just drank bad milk or what have you. Um, and then he plays a year of, in, of uh, minor league ball in 1933. And that was, that was the end of his baseball career. Um, yeah. It was, it was uh, overall an 11 year MLB career. Not many guys could say that, uh, but he yeah, was, you know, the, the end of his career, I feel like the, the, his time in New York and Boston was exciting. He was this up and coming player that was kind of sought after. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he gets, gets his, his second contract has some marital issues and <laughs> starts playing average baseball. And then when you're, yeah. you're average, you get traded to a team that's named the Browns, um, <laughs> whether it's a baseball hey, team or a football team. But yeah. <laughs> I feel like rip kind of was a flash in the pan a little bit, you know, yeah. he kind of came into the league with, with a big bang multi-sport athlete, uh, you know, uh, getting looks from, guys like Ty Cobb and playing with Babe Ruth and in, in big market towns. Uh, yeah. Rip just, Rip just kind of uh, laid down in the outfield and, and kind of started blending in with the grass a little bit. <laughs> well, it, you mentioned how like, you know, he, he had all these, you know, it's just kind of like I've been saying like up and down 
I think another big reason for it is because his heart wasn't really in the game. He didn't, he had all the talent in the world, but he didn't really love the game because he, he had been quoted as saying that he hated the game. He only played because he liked to fish and hunt in the winter and being a baseball player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He acted that's, like he had free time, but this dude's working four other jobs. I that's my favorite quote of the entire write-up on this guy. Yeah. Right? He says, he hated the game and played it only because he liked to fish and hunt in the winter in his native Texas. My question for you, Rip, is couldn't you just do that anyway and not play baseball? <laughs> Like yeah, other jobs and he probably could have made more money yeah he, he yeah. probably could have made more so, money doing that right and then he proceeds to say and i quote i was born a hundred years too late i should have been a pioneer <laughs> well he was a pioneer in his own way i'd say yeah i i totally agree but but again like he's he's dropping these quote bombs like he he was forced into playing baseball like just don't <laughs> yeah. play baseball rip yeah. Go, go mix cement and hunt, you know, whatever you hunt in Texas, fucking <laughs> cows or I don't know. And, you know, serve in the military. Yeah. Don't play baseball. Yeah. He, he was, he had so many other interests, like in the off season while he was playing, he served as a Texas Ranger and not yeah. the rusty, not the rusty Greer kind, but he served as the law yeah. enforcement Texas Ranger. And, um, he coached little league on the side, like with his kids, he had God knows how many kids. He probably had 58 kids that he had no idea were running around the various cities that he played in. I wonder what the stories that he told his, you know, errant kids. <laughs> if you ever talk. Sorry, I'm uh, got to go to St. Louis. See you never. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I got to go to St. Louis. You know, uh, yeah, the Browns need me, you know, it says it right here. It says it right here. Uh, in 1940, he and Letty were living in – so, oh, he went back to Steady Letty. Yeah, so obviously um, Steady Letty was going to win that battle. Yeah. Uh, not, not like eh, – I was more of a Wolf fan. Yeah. Um, three kids. Three kids. That three kids with Letty. So we're – sorry, Rip, we, we were – we gave you a little bad, bad rep there. Yeah. Um, James, 18, Charlotte, 17, and Henry W. Jr., 12 years old. Wow. Uh, in the 40s. Just, yeah, just a good old – just some good old American, you know – Hard workers. Yeah. Love to drink their whiskey. Yeah. But also, you know, just trying to give back, too, as he was a coach in Little League and he served in law enforcement. Um, the, the, so the story of – or Rip Collins' life end, ended when he suffered a stroke in 1968. But it was uh, 72 years of a very – how would you how would you describe his life? You had to describe his life in one word. Well, <laughs> hang on. I, I want to revisit one thing before we hit that, Brad. Okay, absolutely. So throughout the, throughout his career, from from you know beginning to end, he his one of his other nicknames, more unofficial, not like his first name nickname. Mm-hmm. He was called the Two Gun Texan. Perfect. And at the very very end of his biography on Saber. Uh, the author notes that um, Rip owned 148 guns and became an expert of forensic ballistics. Like, absolutely the least surprising thing ever. Hearing that. So, 
So he, after he retired from baseball, though, he became sheriff of yeah. some county in the county, I think, that he grew up in. Yeah. So there was a real-life possibility, a real-life possibility that you were, you were, you know, a young whippersnapper in, in Texas, you know, 16 years old. You're just drinking goblets of beer, driving drunk around Texas, God. and all of a sudden you're pulled over. And the sheriff who's, you know, throwing you in the can for the night is Rip Collins. Yeah. And he's got 148 firearms in his car. (laughs) Are you going to question anything that guy's saying? (laughs) Absolutely not. He also kept a sheriff, or no, sorry, a ranger badge in his trunk along with his his firearms. Just, he's such a badass. Rip absolutely owned Travis County. That was his territory. No one yeah. was going to question him. He was a legend on every single athletic field. Yes. Coaching, serving, serving the law. The guy just did it all. So I'll go back to the question I just yeah. asked. Yeah. If you had to describe Rip Collins' life in one word, what word would you use? Living. Living. He was absolutely living. L-I-V-I-N, living. I couldn't agree more. There were no dull moments in this guy's life. Working three, this dude's busting his chops in in professional sports, uh, serving for our country, um, doing construction contracting. He had two two wives, (laughs) trained for the Red Sox and the Yankees, living. It's unbelievable. Ty Cobb wanted to trade for him. Like, the guy was unbelievable. He was punting the ball 100 yards. Yeah. The guy did it all. He, um, so the last Imagine that pickup line at the bar. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I can punt a football 93 yards. You want to see outside? (laughs) Proceeds to punt a goblet of beer a hundred yards. Yeah. Leaves with every single girl in the I bar. also love it's so di- it's so funny to think about this too. Just the difference in in uh in talent from sport to sport, right? So yeah. you have a guy here with Rip who can mm-hmm. punt a ball nearly the length of a football field. Over it. Yeah. But but in baseball, that same guy walks more guys than he strikes out. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, like that's let, let's play this, let's play this hypothetical. If there were a Rip Collins today yeah. at the NFL draft combine, a punter who could punt it a hundred yards could punch the ball into the end zone to it as a fullback. He's got to go first overall in the NFL draft, right? Uh, punter that can punt 90 something yards, 90 something yards and could also be a goal line back for you guys. Yeah, and he's a hell of a special teams open field tackler too. Four exactly. Left and right. Uh, there yeah, are. I mean, I think I think a team would take him high. Like Sebastian Janikowski was a first round pick, right? Not not a punter, but yeah, you know, it it's a game changer though. Like you know, like even if you have a bat, like no no matter how bad your offensive series series is, unless you turn the ball over, right? You know, you got ripped. Right. You got ripped back. Yeah, you got you got to let it rip. Absolutely, you got to let so, it. So I was. You know, Rip is such a unique guy because because at that time, that that was the the era where baseball players were putting up, you know, numbers that don't exist in today's game. Just because mm-hmm. the game was so much more different, especially pitchers, they were throwing more innings. 
Yeah. Getting more starts, facing more batters. Not a lot of strikeouts. Right. Yeah. Not a lot of strikeouts. Like I was watching, I'd send you uh, the 1934 World Series uh, highlights Mm -hmm. and Dizzy Dean, right? One of the, one of the legends from that decade, uh, they have some footage of him throwing and it literally looks like he's topping out at like 77 miles. <laughs> you know, he's, they, they got like the long wind up over yeah. the head and the high leg kick. And like, you know, they were, they were just messing with your timing with those long windups though. But you know, you got to wonder how Dizzy Dean would face or how he'd fare if he faced the Los Angeles Dodgers of today. Right. Um, right. Of course. I'm still exactly. taking Dizzy Dean. I think he's going to carve them up. But you yeah, know, I'm in the minority. So I, so I, I guess what I was getting at was Rip Collins truly was uh, he was just an average baseball player. Yeah. Um, you know, for his time in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, great numbers. You know, he he, he finished with a hundred and eight major league baseball wins, which is is an incredible feat to win 100 games at that level. Yeah. Only 82 losses. He just mm-hmm. had a flat 4.00 ERA. Perfect. Absolutely. Um, and he even he even mixed in five saves. Yeah, I uh, see that. Yeah. Yeah. So by by all by all means, he was very average. So yeah. Um, I was thinking today, uh, you know, what booze hounds I could I could compare to the rip, and none really came to mind. You just don't hear about that now. If guys are you know hitting the bottle or crushing beers before games, mm-hmm. it's not 1986 anymore. Um, but just purely statistically, um, my comparison for Rip Collins would be Scott Casimir. Scott Casimir. <laughs> Scott Casimir. Uh, I believe he just signed with somebody, didn't he? I don't know, but like almost identical, um, you know, career trajectories. Yeah. And just overall statistics. Um and Scott's from Te- – he's a Texas kid, too. Yeah, and, like, um, kind of the same thing. Like, Scott came into the league with a lot of expectations, had a solid career, but wasn't that guy that everyone thought he was going to be. Yeah, look at win totals. Look at ERA. Um, I, I know yeah. Scott Casimir was was a lefty and, and Rip was a righty, but uh, I'm, I'm looking at, at Scott now here. 12-year career. 12-year career, so pretty much the same length. Yeah. His career high in wins is 15. He did it one time. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, he won 108 games as well. So yeah. the exact same number of wins as, as good old Rip. Uh-huh. 96 losses, you know, very, very similar. He played one more season, very similar, you know, uh, win-to-loss ratio. Mm-hmm. 4.01 ERA. Unbelievable. Yeah. And the amount of innings is similar too. He only has like 20 less innings than what Rip had. And here, here's the stat that tells it all, Brad. Look at his look at 2005, his second year in the league. He led the league in walks. 2005. And Rip, Rip led the league in walks his, his rookie season. Incredible. And I did just look it up. Scott Casimir is playing for the Giants right now in spring training. Let's go. Yeah, so the comeback is alive. Yeah. He led the league in strikeouts uh, in 2007, 239 strikeouts. That's 
He was That's a, a lot stud. Of I, I thought he was going to be a Cy Young guy when he first came up. But. Yeah, I mean, as a Mets fan, he was brought up, you know, in our organization, and we traded him for Victor Zambrano. The, uh, Victor Zambrano. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And Victor Zambrano turned out to be trash for the Mets. <laughs> He's no Rip Collins or Scott Katz, man. <laughs> no. I'll tell you that. But uh, unless you got anything else, I really appreciate you joining on the uh, on this recording of the Rip Collins experience, I do have I do have one more thing to add that I want you got? To, to bring up. So I can always talk more Rip Collins. I was it, this isn't about Rip. This is more about just baseball in that era. Okay. So and and I feel like Rip really is the epitome of of like uh, that aesthetic, right? Three jobs, uh-huh. loves his booze, uh, blue chip guy. When you look at pictures from this era. <laughs> These Love guys it. look like they're about to like, you know, their get up is ridiculous. Uh, they look like they're about to just paint houses uh, or they look like they're in like a chain gang, you know, in prison and should have like, you know, chains around their ankles. Like, they, they, like the game back then was just so crazy. It's, you know, it, 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 I love it because I mean, baseball's always kind of been a sport where, if you see them out in public, it's kind of hard to differentiate, differentiate yeah. them between yeah. other people. But I think back then that was even more true. Right. These are just the ultimate common men. Just, you know, they probably work jobs in the morning sometimes. hundred percent. Dudes are like knocking on doors, like selling vacuums and shit. Yeah. It's yeah. Whatever they had to do to get by and pay rent, which is crazy yeah. to think about someone on like the New York Yankees doing that. But it yeah, back then. I I just wanted to mention that I I just I, you know <laughs> I was just I was just trying to get a feel for the era when I was you know reading about Rip and and I actually um I was reading into Ripper Collins I mentioned that to you earlier today true I thought we were covering Ripper classic mistake so so up Ripper and Rip but but common mistake uh-huh. because yes they overlapped for a season. They were they were St. Louis Browns teammates. Ripper Collins and Rip Collins. Seriously, they, they were teammates. I thought they were they teammates played. for one year in 1931. It was, right. uh, I believe Look it was Ripper's first right year. Now. He went five. So Rip, not to be confused with Ripper, uh-huh. went five and five that year. Yeah. Uh, that was his last season in the league. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Rip Collins was on that team. That's crazy. Yeah, Ripper Collins. Imagine the confusion that would have for the media yeah. guy who's putting together no, the media guy. <laughs> You're looking for Ripper. He's over there. <laughs> but Ripper did end up having a solid career. Three three All-Stars, won two World Series. Yeah. yeah. And he just, you know, he looks like a Ripper. Yeah. I wonder but, if those guys, like, bonded over that. You know, uh, I, bet, I bet Rip, knowing him, probably hated him for well, it. Well, in my research of Ripper – and I don't know if this will segue into, I don't know, a conversation down the road, but um, that 1934 Cardinals team, uh, Ripper Collins, he was, he was, he was kind of a, a funny guy. Yeah. Uh, he, I feel like him and him and Rip were, uh, you know, boozing after games for sure together. Oh, they, he's, he probably learned from uh, Rip when he saw him that one year that they, uh, yeah, they crossed over, and he, yeah, he showed I mean, him the ropes a little that, bit. Showed him a nice, bar. yeah, he probably showed him the nice watering holes in yeah. uh, the St. Louis area, and Ripper just took it from there. 
he was probably able to handle his drinking a little better, even though like that's not really saying much, but actually, no, it is rip. He was good with that, but uh, yeah, Ripper, he's another guy we could do another episode about down the road, but yeah, seriously, yeah, I know he, I was, I was like ready to uh, talk about Ripper Collins. And <laughs> you threw me the, the breaking ball uh, earlier hey. today and said, ah, oh, it's, it's rip, not, not Ripper. 2-0 count. I threw that curveball. I threw that curveball yeah. like Rip would have done. Hey, no. hey, I, I reacted and, and pivoted, showed my resilience, and hopefully put together a good conversation. So Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on, man. It's It was fun talking to you and uh, looking forward to the next one. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, right. Best time of the year. We got March Madness. We got baseball spring training. So, uh, you know, good times and, and looking forward to catching up next time. Can't wait, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, fellas. Yeah, see you, man.